0: That was one of the things that I struggled with and I got a chance to ask uh, Dr. Blessman. When you fly into like Johannesburg, it's modern city, glass, stone. I mean, it's got all the amenities that you would have in the U.S. And then we drove three hours north and it's like a forgotten world. And there's big major highways with cars flying by and we go to a school that doesn't have electricity. The circumstances of those people in that area is just bleak. Um, I mean, poverty, crime, you know, it's all just right outside that doorstep. And this is like literally a sanctuary for these kids and these families. And these pastors are so passionate but they're, you know, right out there in the community trying to get people to participate, come to church take care of each other. For somebody who's like, I'm just like more traditional, more reserved, um, to get there and experience church in that environment is just amazing. I mean, they are up, they are active, um, they're very vocal, so much energy and so happy. And, you know, um, church is a long endeavor in Africa. I mean, it takes hours, um, but they never lose energy.
1: Hey, good morning, everyone, and welcome to worship. So glad that you are here. Uh, That was a couple of hopesters, Fred and Jenny Shirley. They just got back from a mission trip to South Africa. And last year, I got to uh, go to South Africa. Jenny was on the team, and she had a great experience. When she came back, she said to Fred, I'm going to go back next year, and you're coming with me. And because Fred's a good husband, he said, yes, dear. And so we're going to be hearing a little more from them throughout the course of Uh, the message today, but I wanted to start there because I thought Fred did a good job kind of pointing out the contrasting realities when it comes to a a mission trip. You land in Johannesburg, which is this really kind of metropolitan city and a whole lot of modern amenities there and wealth, but you drive three hours north to uh, where you kind of hang out with Blessman Ministries, and it's like you've gone back in time three or four generations, and you've got Uh, horse-drawn carriages and carts pulled by mules, and that's how families uh, transport around. You go to schools and they don't have access to water or to electricity, and there's health issues that should be relatively easy to take care of and to, to treat, but it's just having devastating consequences in that part of the world. And then you go to worship and, you know, as an outsider, a Westerner, an American, you're thinking, here are all these people that don't really have anything, they don't have a whole lot of stuff, don't have a whole lot of hope, but the worship starts happening and the spirit is alive and the energy and the passion which, with, with which they love uh, Jesus, it, it just kind of blows you away and it, it's almost confusing. You're like, how, how does that happen? How do I make sense of this? Apostle Paul is considered the first missionary. Went on several missionary journeys around the Mediterranean rim of the Roman Empire. He would go to one city and talk to people about Jesus there and get a church going. And then he would move to another town, another city, start another church. And He would go all over from city to city, but he would stay in contact, writing them letters, encouraging them, also teaching them, training them. Nobody knew how to be a church at that time. We got it all figured out now, but at that time, nobody knew how to be a church. And so he's telling them, here's some of the things that you need to be thinking about and thinking of doing. So one of the churches is in a city called Thessalonica. He writes two letters that get included in the New Testament of our Bibles to the church in Thessalonica. Let's read this verse out loud together as we get going. It's on the screen. Read it with me. May the Lord of peace himself give you his peace at all times and in every situation. So I was was in my kitchen earlier this week, and a couple of my boys were sitting at the table uh, making a list. They were making out a Christmas list, because I suppose it's that time of the year, right? And I started to think, I wonder what I want on my Christmas list. You got your Christmas list made? And then I saw this verse and I thought, what if this would be what God gives you for Christmas this year? That'd be a pretty good gift, wouldn't it? May the Lord of peace himself give you his peace at all times and in every situation. If you were here last week, maybe you remember we talked a little bit about Nelson Mandela and his rise to power in South Africa and his dream for uh, the future of that country and how it kind of all revolved around centered on forgiveness. And they've come a long way in the last couple of decades, but as Fred and Jenny talked about on, on that video we saw, there's still a long way to go. There's a lot of brokenness in South Africa. I don't know what image pops into your mind when you think of brokenness. I was thinking maybe I should just get a giant clay pot and just drop it on the concrete floor of this worship center to give us a picture of brokenness, right? That's what would happen. You drop a clay pot on a concrete floor and it would just shatter. There would be pieces everywhere. And so that's, that's kind of the big idea that I want you to keep in the back of your head as we make our way through this message today. We pray for peace because the world is in pieces. We pray for peace Because the world is in pieces and you can go on a mission trip, you can go around the world to other parts of the world and you can see uh, the ways in which the world is broken, the ways in which the world is in pieces, but you really don't have to travel that far to come across that reality, do you? We have people in this church who are grieving because somebody they love has been killed, murdered. Uh, People who are grieving because of drug overdoses or suicide. People who are grieving because of cancer or childhood illnesses. Taking the life of somebody that they love. We have people in this church who battle with anxiety and addiction on a daily basis. We have people in this church who live in communities. Just try to imagine this if you can. They live in communities where they're told their worth or their value as a person is dependent upon how successful they are as an athlete or a musician or an academics. Can you imagine living in a place like that? Can you imagine living in a place where you're told your value or your worth as an adult has everything to do with the size of your bank account or how small your waistline is? And so we have people in this church who are... Their lives are broken. Their lives are messy. Their, their relationships, their world is in pieces. Now, the good news is we have a God who is a God of peace. And in the Old Testament, one of the words that gets used on a pretty regular basis to talk about or to describe peace is a word that maybe you've heard before, even if you don't have much of a church background or don't know your Bible very well, maybe you've heard this word Shalom. Let's all say that together, shalom. It's one of the Hebrew words for peace. And in the biblical world, uh, often the word shalom would be used as a greeting. If you're walking down the street of your city or your village and you, you met someone, you would say to them shalom as a way of saying, I welcome you in peace. Or if someone came over to your house for Thanksgiving, I don't know if they had Thanksgiving in the Bible days, but Passover. They come over for Passover. As they're going back home, as a way of saying goodbye to them, you would say goodbye. Uh, You would say shalom. Go in peace. Welcome somebody by saying peace. Uh, Say goodbye to somebody by saying peace. Is there anything that you do in your life on a regular basis where that actually happens? There is. We do it every time we gather together for worship. Hey, why don't you say hi to seven or eight people around you? And if you had been in a church that was more traditional or liturgical, let I me, mean, you know, they had bulletins where it listed out the order of worship. That part of the worship service would have been called what? Yeah, you know it. What would it have been called? The passing of the peace. The passing of the peace. At the end of the service, I'm not gonna say it because I think you might take me literally, but at the end of the service we say, go in peace, serve the Lord, right? Don't that we're not doesn't mean we're done. But We begin and we end with shalom. And and, and it's an idea about welcoming and relationships and that sort of thing. And it's bigger than that. Uh, Shalom is this vision for the world that God has. This is the world that God created good. The world that God created that, that was perfect. That's what shalom is pointing to. Of course the world's become messy and broken and is in pieces. But God, the God of peace, the Lord of peace himself is at work rebuilding, repairing, restoring, putting the broken pieces back together, and that's shalom, when the world gets back to the way God wanted it to be originally. How does God do that? Through God's Son, through the Messiah, through Jesus Christ, who particularly this time of year we start to refer to Jesus as the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Shalom. Last week we talked about forgiveness. One of the ways of thinking about forgiveness is it's putting the relational pieces back together, right? When things happen in our relationships that that causes those relationships to be shattered, we put those back together through the process of forgiveness and God's love is perfected in us and as God's love fills us and flows out of us into the world around us and repairs relationships and put broken pieces back together, this is how God brings about shalom on this world, on, on this planet. And so I was, I saw a video this week, I think kind of cute, but it's also a kind of a powerful picture of how Shalom works. It's really short, take a look. They probably had to look really far and wide to find brothers and sisters who used to fight, but uh, they found some. It was weird. Uh, Isn't that great? Now I miss my brother all of a sudden. He's gone every day at school. Now I can't wait for them. And they greet each other. That's, That's shalom, right? Putting the pieces back together. This is what Jesus is up to. It's what his life and death and resurrection are all about. Shortly after his resurrection, the disciples are huddled up, they're hiding in an upper room when, and the doors and the windows are all locked because they're really kind of scared. And then suddenly, one time, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. Peace be with you. I don't know. Put yourself in that upper room with the disciples or maybe even just think, what would your response be if right now suddenly Jesus were to appear among us? Just standing right here and I could sit down and we'll let Jesus preach a sermon, Right? I think some of us, our response would be fear because we're freaked out a little bit because we've never seen anything like that happen. But, but I think there's another kind of fear some of us might experience. Because of our, our view of God, we think God is angry, God's mean, God's looking to, like if Jesus showed up, he's going to scold me and point out all of my mistakes. So as we make our way through this story where Jesus suddenly appears with the disciples, pay attention and see if that happens or if something else happens. Jesus suddenly appears with the disciples. He says, peace be with you. Then you go to the next verse, verse 20. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Peace be with you, Jesus says, and they're filled with joy. Could have been filled with fear. In fact, John writes at the beginning of that story, they're scared to death that the Jewish leaders are going to come barging in and arrest them and crucify them like they just had done before with Jesus. They could have been filled with guilt. The last time they were with Jesus, they abandoned him. The last time they were with Jesus, they ran away from him. When he needed them most, they disappeared. And so Jesus could have shown up and pointed the finger and could have reminded them of their guilt, but that's not what happens. No fear, no guilt, no shame. Peace be with you, Jesus says, and they're filled with great joy. And that's awesome. This is good news for the disciples, right? It's good that this is happening And that's not the end of the story. Go to the next verse, verse 21. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. So Jesus is at work taking pieces that are broken and putting them back together, giving people peace as he does this. The relationship he had with the disciples had been broken in some way. He's rebuilding that, restoring that, repairing that. And that's good, but that's not the end goal. And Jesus will do the same thing for you, rebuilding your relationship with God, putting those kinds of pieces back together, but that's not the end goal. The end goal is always he's going to send us. I've given you peace so that you can go and be peacemakers in the world, so that you can be part of this process of putting the broken pieces back together so this world can have more peace and this world could use a little more peace, couldn't it? So at the beginning of the message, we were talking about this idea that we pray for peace because the world is in pieces. And that's true, and that's good, and maybe that's the right starting point, to pray for peace. But again, that's not the ending point. In addition to praying for peace, we also want to work for peace because the world is in pieces. And so the rest of the message is just going to be throwing out some ideas to you. How might you actually be able to leave this worship service more of a peacemaker than you were when you walked in to church this morning? So we've got stacked here a bunch of shoeboxes. This is uh, Power Life, our ministry for 6th, 7th, and 8th graders. Power Life have been working on this project for the last several weeks. Operation Christmas Child, it's called. So they get a shoebox, they fill it up with toys, uh, stuffed animals, hygiene items, school supplies, and then we work with an organization that sends them all over the world, sends these boxes, all kinds of churches and people are doing this. Uh, Over 100 countries around the world receive Operation uh, Christmas Child shoeboxes. And so the kids are told to pray for the child who's going to receive it. They don't know, uh, well, they know if it's going to be a boy or a girl, but they don't know their name or where they are. And so they just pray in general for God to bless whoever receives this. This organization works with churches in these villages. They have outreach events and the kids of the village come and they get this gift and they give them a book called The Greatest Gift, which tells the story of Jesus and God's love. And then they continue to stay in contact, inviting them to Sunday school, inviting them to worship, saying, is there anything that your family needs that, that we can help out with? And so what our sixth, seventh, and eighth graders and their power life leaders and parents have been doing is just a step in this process of, that we hope will, in some small way, uh, repair, rebuild the broken pieces. So we want to bless these boxes as we're getting ready to send them out. Would you pray with me, please? So, Lord, uh, you love the world more than we can even imagine or understand. And we have no idea where these boxes are going, but you absolutely do. You know who. You know what's going on in their life right now in this moment. And so we pray uh, that this small gift would open up the door to the great gift of grace and love and life that you have for this entire world. Uh, We pray that it would also... uh, doing things like this would open up our hearts more and more all the time so that we would become peacemakers, so that we would look for ways in which we can help put broken pieces back together all the time uh, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, on the uh, job, wherever we might be. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Of course, this happens in all kinds of ways. There's more boxes back there. You heard in the announcements, 165 Thanksgiving meal packages were put together, and they've been distributed out through our Tuesday morning ministry. The high school students, they they get to go and and they bought uh, gifts that they're going to give to the Sunnyview uh, Care Center residents there. And so this happens in all kinds of ways through the official ministries of hope, but it doesn't have to happen through official ministries of hope. A couple of weeks ago, we took our staff to Chicago for a conference. Eli, our discipleship minister, he uh, went to grad school in Chicago, and so some of his buddies were putting this conference together, so he was able to get us discounted tickets uh, to the conference, which is a good thing. But even more importantly, Eli knew where to find the Lou Malnati's deep dish pizza place that was close to where the conference was happening. So on the Tuesday night of that week after the conference, we didn't leave early, after the conference we went, uh, took the staff out for pizza. And apparently we weren't the only church staff that thought that would be a good idea. It was packed and uh, they put us in the kind of this corner room because they must have heard the kind of people we are, but... Um, We squeezed around a couple of tables, 18 of us, and then there was a couple more tables beside us, a church from Indianapolis, and their staff team squeezed around those tables. And our server for the day was a guy named Joey, a young guy named Joey, and he comes out to tell us how it's going to work. Eli is a very smart man he was not going to let us order our own food. Like, let's take a half hour to peruse the menu and then wait an hour for the deep. No, Eli ordered everything for us, so it was ready when we got there. So Joey says, I'm just gonna start bringing out the food and you tell me what you want and what you don't want and, you know, just have at it. So huge bowls of salad they bring out, and we devour that. Huge bowls of pasta they bring out, we devour that. We're just getting more and more excited all the time. And Because you've got to understand, food is like our love language for the Hope Ankeny staff people. And especially for Dan Froein. You guys know Dan? Uh, have you ever seen Dan in shorts before? No. And there's a reason you've never seen Dan in shorts before. Sorry I had to put that up there. But anyway... Um, we 're getting so excited as they bring out this food, when even when Joy brings out food for the other table we 're cheering for them and then they cheer when Joy brings food to us finally when it 's time to bring out the deep dish pizza we were so excited. Both both churches, we just started clapping and chanting, Joey, Joey, Joey. It was ridiculous. And he didn't really know quite what to do with it. He was a little overwhelmed at first, but it didn't take too long. And he started to eat it up. I mean, you would have thought Jesus had arrived, but it was just Joey. It was just Joey with, with some pizza. So at the end of the night, we're like, let's take a staff picture. Joey, can you take our picture? But someone from the Indianapolis church said, no, 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 no. Joey needs to be in the picture with you. I'll take the picture. So here's our staff. And next slide. Here's Joey, our awesome server. And have you ever seen a more peace-filled, joy-filled, deep-dish, pizza-filled group of staff members than that? So we finished up, and shockingly, there was some pizza left over. And so Joey had to box it up. The rest of us were, were like getting our coats on and getting ready to go, but Jared Wells, who is our production director here at at Hope, and he and his team run the cameras and the lights and the video and the sound and all that stuff, Jared walked over to Joey and shook his hand and said, hey, Joey, just wanted to say thanks for your service. It was great. We, We had an absolute blast. This was just really fun. And Joey said to Jared, I haven't had this much fun in a long time. And Jared felt like maybe... That was a door opening to further conversation. So Jared says to Joey, how can I be praying for you? And it turns out this is something Jared has started to do on a regular basis. When he goes, any of you go out to dinner after church? Go out to eat after church? Not one of you? (laughs) Come on, people. Do any of you eat food at all? Yeah, so um, I think a lot of you. Anyway, when you go to, to dinner and you have a server... Jared just started to do this, and maybe you could too. He finds a time where it makes sense to ask them, how can I be praying for you? He does not ask, if you died tonight, do you know if you would go to heaven. He doesn't ask, have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you been baptized? He just asks, how can I be praying for you? They will know we are Christians by our love. So Jared says to Joey, how can I be praying for you? And Joey says, you know, my mom died a couple years ago. And it's been really hard, especially for my dad. And he's never, you know, kind of gotten over it. He's in a real dark place. If you could be praying for my dad, I'd really appreciate it. And so Jared said, of course, I'll pray for your dad. And Joey, I just want you to know I'll be praying for you too. So I think we should pray for Joey and for Joey's dad right now. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we lift up Joey and his dad to you. And again, we don't know what they're up to uh, this morning, but we ask that right now in this moment, they would feel your peace. They would would have this sense that there is a God who is alive and who is at work in this world and that you would be doing some work in in their hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would comfort them. I, I pray that you would put something inside them that maybe they haven't even thought of for a while that's like, I think I should go to church, and that they would find a church where they can be surrounded and loved and encouraged, and uh, friends who would carry this burden of grief with them. And Lord, we pray for people in this room who are going through that same uh, burden of grief. We ask that you would provide the comfort and the hope and the peace that we all need, and we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray for peace because the world is in pieces, and we work for peace, because the world is in pieces. And you can do this. You, you don't have to be seminary trained. You don't have to be on staff at a church. You just have to be available. How, how is God wanting to use you to be a peacemaker in the world around you. In fact, I think a lot of you get this. This church is filled with teachers and educators who are absolutely convinced th- their, their job is a calling. It's a ministry. It's a way of putting broken pieces back together again or preventing things from breaking even more. This church is filled with financial planners, wealth management experts who are absolutely convinced if we can help people be better stewards of their money, that's going to bring more peace to this world this church is filled with people all law enforcement officers, healthcare professionals, farmers, engineers, you go on, parents, people who are absolutely convinced what you do, how you spend 40, 50, 60 hours a week, it is a ministry, it is a calling that God has placed on your life. And I think sometimes we get a little wonky around this idea of calling, right? vocation it's not an occupation it's a vocation it's a calling and and Christians can get a little weird about this sort of thing Christians can be like well you know we use it as an excuse not to do something God didn't call me to do that so you know you go ahead or sometimes we'll use it as a power play a way to get what we want like God told me this church needs a private jet for the campus pastor and his family so we're gonna (laughs) pass the plate no right so what, what, is, what are we talking about when we say God's calling, God has a calling on our life? We overcomplicate it. Jesus makes it pretty clear. Jesus makes it, makes it pretty simple. This is how Jesus calls people. Matthew 4, verse 19, it's on the screen. Let's read this out loud together. Jesus called out to them, "'Come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people.'" This is what he says to his disciples who were fishermen. "'Drop your nets, follow me, I'll teach you how to fish for people.'" But part of what this passage tells us is Jesus calls all people. He calls to you, follow me. And I don't know what it looks like for you to follow Jesus. It, it, It may not look like what it looks like for me to follow Jesus, to be a pastor, to be a preacher. What does it look like for you when Jesus says to you, follow me? What does it look like for you to say, yes, I will follow. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. There's all sorts of ways, and again, sometimes it's through official ministries of your local church, but not always. The church is a whole lot bigger than Lutheran Church of Hope. Church with a capital C, the Holy Catholic Church, like we say in the the creed. This happens, church happens, whenever anybody hears the call of Jesus, follow me, and then they obediently follow, whenever, wherever, however that might look how is Jesus saying, follow me to you? And are you in a place where by faith, fueled by God's grace, you can follow in obedience? So we just kind of want to keep casting that idea out. God's calling you, God's calling you, God's calling you. Here are three ways at, at Hope over the course of the next year that God might be calling you to be a peacemaker in the world. Mission Uganda is going to be our Advent project this year. In the four weeks leading up to Christmas, every year at Hope we have an Advent project. Our mission partner for Mission Uganda is Child Voice, and they're uh, in Uganda, but they work in a lot of different war-torn regions of Africa, helping children who are just dealing with unimaginable kinds of things because of war and violence, and you'll hear more about that in the weeks to come. Mission Tijuana is particularly for high school or college age students. We would love for you to think about uh, going on that project. Uh, the mission partner is Youth with a Mission, YWAM for short, and they're, they're building homes for uh, local people in Tijuana who've been able to raise enough money to buy a lot, and, um, uh, but they just need help actually building that. And then Mission South Africa next October maybe seems like a long way away but we're having an an interest meeting coming up in just two weeks uh, to talk about uh, next fall's Mission South Africa trip. I'm gonna be going, uh, I'm gonna be bringing my daughter Hadley. Last year I went with my son Dalton and we had just an incredible experience. I get to bring my daughter Hadley this next time and a couple of things that I want to say about uh, Mission South Africa. Our partner there is Blessman International. Uh, Dr. Jim Blessman a doctor from right here in Ankeny, but God had a calling on his life to start this mission organization in South Africa. And I loved all the different, the variety of things that we did. So if you love to preach, come on Mission South Africa, because there's all kinds of opportunities. Every day, they would come to me and say, oh, yeah, we want you to preach a sermon today at this place or at that school or whatever. So if you would like to preach, come, and we'll we'll find something for you to do there. They also have an after-school program in a village. Uh, It's called the Del Kramer Center, and they asked the community, give us the kids who are performing the worst in school, and we want to ask them, invite them to come and be a part of this. And so they got the worst kids academically. They tutor them, they teach them life skills, teach them computer skills, uh, and they feed them. That's a big, com- why do kids do poorly academically? A lot, a lot of times they're hungry. And so they give them a meal and often it's the only meal they get that day. Well. The meal comes from Meals from the Heartland, which you saw in the Hope 360. We, we package meals all the time here in Central Iowa and we send them around the world. It's a real cool kind of full circle experience to package a meal here and then see it being used to help people halfway around the world. And... Blessman has a farm because their hope, their, their vision long term is that we wouldn't need to use meals from the Heartland Meals. We could have a farm that employs people but is also uh, providing the produce so we can be a self-sustaining feeding kind of operation. So we'd, we got to plant and harvest, you know, throwing cabbages around like we we're LeBron James and playing bad. It was unbelievable. So uh, shoe ministries, optical outreach, all something new and different every day. And if you would like to hear more about that, two weeks from now, December 3rd, information meeting right here, or if you just want a free meal, come to the free meal. We don't care, but we'll feed you, and we'll answer questions and talk about Mission South Africa. All of this is, the idea is Jesus is always calling people, follow me, follow me, follow me, in your marriage, as a parent, in your job, whatever your job might be, as a student in school follow me. What does it look like for you to say yes? So, one more video. This is uh, Fred and Jenny talking about this idea of calling. Take a look.
0: I think my biggest thing when it comes to um, the calling of going on a mission trip, I think people are called in different ways by God, and and a lot of people have come to me and said, oh, I think it's great what you're doing. I've always wanted to do something like that. And um, you should, you should absolutely do it. Oh, well, and then I hear all the excuses. And and some of them are valid and, and they make sense. It is time, it is money, it changes you. And I think a lot of times people are scared of being changed, it will break your heart. But my, my kind of question to that is, maybe you're not being called to go in a way that, you know, you, you had a dream or you know, some big something big and significant, but there's still something on your heart. But are you being called to stay here? You know, is God telling you not to go there? You can get voluntold like Fred. <laughs> That's all I got there. But it was good though, because Jenny was good about managing expectations about going on this. Um, she had gone before and just kind of making it clear that, you know, while we might do a little bit of help for some people there, um, it's really about a personal change. Um, you get way more out of it than you can ever do for anybody in that short amount of time.
1: I don't know if you could hear uh, Jenny, that last part. She uh, used a term that we've kind of coined here at Hope, at least I'd never heard it before I'd gotten to Hope. A lot of times we ask people to volunteer. She said Fred was voluntold, <laughs> voluntold to go. And so they went and they had a great time. Actually, I see a couple of South Africans in, in the room. Uh, Dustin and Renee, is that you back there? Can you stand up so everyone, Dustin and Renee are part of, Bless. I didn't know you guys were going to, welcome home, yay. So are you here for a month or so till Christmas? Yeah, so be praying for them and and for their ministry. Let's all stand up and I want to pray for us as we get ready to go. Uh, Actually, just so you know, so you can be praying, um, Fred Shirley posted on Facebook, I haven't had a chance to talk with, a family member of theirs was shot and killed in Ames yesterday. And so we're going to pray for Fred and Jenny and their family. Uh, this, this world is in pieces, and so we're going to pray for peace. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I think we would just want to pause for a second, and, and for all of us, uh, in our minds and in our hearts, we, we want to kind of extend to you the broken uh, places in our lives and in our families. And we ask that you, the Lord of all peace, would give us your peace. A peace that passes understanding, a peace that makes no sense given the reality of the brokenness and the chaos uh, that seems to be winning so so often. So we ask that you would remind us of your victory Uh, and that, that you have a call on us to be peacemakers. It's not easy. It will continue to break our hearts but it will also continue to build our hearts and grow our hearts and strengthen our faith as we listen for your call to follow and we say yes. That there's nothing else like it. There's nothing else that will do but following after you leads us into a life like none other. So give us that faith, that ability to say I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Amen.